Hi, I'm Katie Marquette, and you're listening to Born of Wonder. And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. Hello and welcome to Born of Wonder. I'm Katie Marquette. Happy Holy Week. This is releasing on Tuesday, so tomorrow we will enter the Paschal Triduum or Easter Triduum with Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and finally Easter morning. We will hear Alleluia again. Uh, the, the King is risen. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amazing. Amazing that Lent is almost over. I don't know about you, but it went very, very fast. Uh, some things I'm very happy with how things went during Lent. Some some things I wish I had been stricter or had had more time. It always seems to sneak up on me, but especially this year for some reason, maybe having a one-year-old uh, changes time a little bit. <laughs> But I hope that you have had time to enter into this liturgical season. Lent is a beautiful season, and uh, the more deeply you enter into Lent, the more um, deeply felt, I think, that hallelujah on Easter morning is. Uh, and that really is beautiful. If you're not Catholic or you, 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 know, you go to a different Christian service or you're not religious, maybe you might not be familiar with uh, the fact that during during uh, Lent, you don't hear hear Hallelujah. You, it's not incorporated into the liturgy. Um, we don't hear the Gloria. We don't sing the Gloria at the beginning of Mass. Uh, it's meant to be um, a, a solemn season. Uh, the music choices are supposed to be much uh, much more sparse. We're supposed to be sort of meditative. Things are taken away. The crosses in a church are covered up, are draped over. Uh, and all these things will change. All this will change on Easter morning. The the cloths will be ripped down. The Paschal candle will be lit. Hallelujah will be sung. The Gloria will be sung. And, uh, and it will be this amazing triumphant moment. And I think that all those things, all the, all doing the stations of the cross, the fasting, the waiting, the, um, you know, just, just sort of craving some sort of, um, triumphant music again, all of that waiting is supposed to, um, help us enter, enter into, uh, the, the true, truly momentous moment of Easter Sunday. So, all this is still new to me. I mean, Easter Sunday when I was a kid was um, all about bunnies and the country club, which was <laughs> which was also very nice. I went with my grandmother and I loved those rabbits and I loved getting chocolate eggs and all that can be a really, really fun, wonderful time of Easter too. But there certainly is this much deeper aspect for me now, of course. And uh, and I think that those two elements, you know, as, as the, uh, as nature, as spring sort of represents the resurrection of the seasons uh, as we celebrate the resurrection 
action liturgically. Uh, there's a lot of sort of beautiful culmination coming our way, and I hope that you that you can enter into it. Um, so today I wanted to talk about Lord of the Rings. I wanted to talk about Aragorn, Return of the King. Um, I no surprise. I love I love Lord of the Rings. It is one of the most powerful stories I've ever read. I absolutely love the movies. I think that they are incredibly well done. They're just about as perfect, uh, perfectly wrought uh, movies uh, of of a book that I think I've seen. I think the Harry Potter movies are also very good, but um, not as consistently good as this trilogy, which I think is it's just amazing. I wrote um, a guide for Advent, a Lord of the Rings guide, watching the movies to have a discussion. I know that there is a Lord of the Rings reading guide for Lent. Um, I know we're a bit late to do that now, but um, you can put on your calendar maybe to do for Advent or Lent uh, in the future. But this story um, has so many layers of meaning. It is so, so richly symbolic. Um, and I think that whatever lens you're looking at it through, um, it just it just gets deeper and deeper and to sort of focus on Aragorn's um, coronation his kingship the return of the king uh, and him as a as a Christ figure and of course there are many Christ figures in in Lord of the Rings it's not a straight allegory right so it's uh, you know there's there's aspects of Frodo that are Christ like there are aspects of Gandalf that are Christ like um, that there are many characters that embody these elements but of course it's really Aragorn that maybe most explicitly uh, exhibits those uh, Christ-like qualities especially since he is the king he is the he is the, in the line of Isildur he is going to um, to to bring to to bring uh, the righteous king back to the throne, and people have been waiting for him, hoping for him, and he's hidden. You know, he's he's nobody knows who he is, and and he's um, you know he he didn't grow up in a great hall, he didn't grow up a prince, but he is the rightful king. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, how Aragorn exhibits those king-like, Christ-like qualities. I'm going to be playing some some clips from the movies. Um, well. To from Return of the King mostly, but um, also bringing in just uh, a, a bit from the books too. There's there's quite a bit about Aragorn as a healer in the books that um, is not as featured in the movies. But So we'll be talking about that, and then I'm going to also read you a really, really beautiful um, homily. It's, it's just called an ancient homily for Holy Saturday, and it's included in the Divine Office, um, in the Office of the Readings. And it's just phenomenal. It has one of my favorite lines ever, maybe. Um, Awake, ye sleeper, I did not make you to be prisoner of the underworld. So powerful. It's um, depicting the Lord's descent into hell, known as the harrowing of hell. A very interesting theological concept that I will touch on a little bit uh, about what the origins of this idea are for Holy Saturday. Uh, because we have to remember theologically, uh, and this is, I think, beautiful symbolically, um, no matter what your religious tradition would be, to understand that if Christ truly is God, then but is also truly man, then he really did die. And uh, and if Christ experienced all aspects of human life, he also experienced all aspects of human death. But what does that mean? What does that mean when Christ descends into Sheol, into the what what the Jewish um, faith refers to as as basically as Hades, as the underworld, sort of this misty, unknown place um, of the dead, not necessarily the condemned dead, but this sort of 
waiting place, uh, waiting for the Redeemer. What happens? What happens when he dies and descends there? And there's just this, this so much beautiful art has come out of this idea of the harrowing of hell, of Christ reaching down, grabbing Adam and Eve by the hand and leading them up toward heaven. So you can imagine just the artistic possibilities there. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. So obviously a lot to cover here and uh, not all the time in the world. So I hope that this will be um, will be an interesting episode for you and I hope it will inspire you. Uh, maybe watch Return of the King. Um, maybe uh, inspire you to go to as many Holy Week services as you can. Uh, there, there are so many beautiful services uh, and they're very theatrical, which, which I love. Um, if you went to Mass this past weekend for Palm Sunday, there is this great uh, portion that is like a it's like reading a play. Um, the the priest will play the role of Christ, and then you'll have one or two other people playing the role of Pontius Pilate and um, and you know Peter and other people, and then us in the in the audience, <laughs> uh, the parishioners will be the crowd. So you will have us reading things like crucify him, crucify him. It's very powerful to be put in that role, and it's very powerful to have these things acted out. Um, I know that uh, the theatricality is something that sometimes people feel uncomfortable with, but as somebody who finds a lot of truth in art, as who has had many an emotional, uh, I would even say religious experience at the theater, um, to find uh, to, to find that sort of artistic embodiment at the mass, um, which of course in and of itself is very theatrical. Uh, we're acting out things, we're acting out um, in real time, in sacramental time, uh, this historical, symbolic, spiritual reality. So it, it, the theatricality is beautiful, and Holy Week has so many opportunities for that. Um, so I'll t- talk a little bit also about uh, what you can expect from some Holy Week services if you, uh, if you can go. But uh, just briefly, very briefly, I don't, I don't want to take up too much of our time here just to introduce the podcast, Born of Wonder. We explore anything and everything that inspires wonder and awe in the world. You can find out more about me, contact me um, at bornofwonder.com. Uh, you can also sign up for my email newsletter there, send out once a month or so, just keep you up to date on things. I share things around the web that I have found interesting um, or thought provoking and uh, share a little bit about what's going on in my life and how that's uh, making me wonder in the world or maybe making it hard for me to wonder in the world sometimes. Uh, I know there were a few emails like that back when the baby really wasn't sleeping. I was not wondering too much. Um, so you can sign up for the email newsletter there. Um, and you can also support me on Patreon. You can find the link in the show notes, $2 a month, uh, buy me a coffee, help me pay for my subscriptions. I appreciate it so, so, so very much. And uh, if you become a patron, you can message me your address, and I would love to send you um, a handwritten thank you. I love to write letters. Um, Actually, today, you know, it's tax season, trying to get organized. I'm going through all those drawers. I don't know if you have them in your house, but the kind of drawers where you just kind of have thrown things in over the years. Um, And so I'm sorting through them, and I was just delighted by how many handwritten notes I have from friends and family and things like that. And my husband and I write notes to each other, and we, we wrote letters to each other other in college even though we were a dorm room away and I still have all of those and um, I just love having those these physical artifacts I I worry about that sometimes in our digital age um, that we won't have that sort of serendipitous uh, discovery of physical objects like that Uh, so I hope that um, 
maybe just just you know if you, if your friend or somebody does something nice for you just like write them a handwritten note I know that it means so much to me when I receive something like that and it's fun to write them uh, I'm looking at right now on my bookshelf I have like a little postcard with Alice in Wonderland on it I found in one of the books I inherited from my grandparents and it's a note that one of my grandmother's friends wrote her and it says something like um, you know I had so much fun at lunch the other day thank you for lending me the John Donne can't wait to discuss more you know your friend Rita in like 1970 something so I love finding that because now I'm connected to my grandmother so I always picture I slip lots of things in our books sometimes um, I wonder if maybe our grandkids will discover them someday and uh, have this sort of tangible um, you know piece of us uh, to discover and uh, uh, you know or when you go to a used bookstore and you see an inscription um, and you're like who was this person you know we, we, we just got some used books and uh, we found an old birthday card and I, I don't know I love that kind of stuff total tangent just something else to inspire wonder do some handwritten notes and on that note uh, I will send you one I will send you a letter if you become a patron so uh, consider that and uh, thank you so much for following along you can leave a review on iTunes leave a star rating on Spotify so without further ado let's uh, let's dive into the wonderful magical world of Middle Earth let's talk about Aragorn and the return of the king Okay, so one of the first moments I wanted to bring up was uh, when Aragorn accompanies Boromir as he is dying. Uh, he really plays the role of, of a friend here, of course, but also uh, also as a priest, uh, essentially giving last rites, giving benediction and forgiveness uh, to this man who has been overcome by guilt. He has he has succumbed to the power of the ring. He tried to steal the ring. He tried to hurt Frodo. Uh, and and in this moment when he's dying, uh, when he has died defending, uh, defending the group there, uh, redeeming himself, Aragorn in this role of priest and king offers him consolation, accompanies him, and uh, and and also as you'll as you'll hear in a moment, um, Boromir, who of course. Uh, is is set to be at odds with with Aragorn um really uh because his his father is the the pretender to the throne really um the the steward of the throne uh and and you know Aragorn coming on the scene is taking power away from Boromir right so he has every right to be to be quite upset but uh what he says at the end is that Aragorn he says my king and uh so so it's really this culminating moment he recognizes who Aragorn is he sees him as the real true king he's given forgiveness and he dies a heroic uh, a heroic death so I'll play a little bit of that scene here I tried to take the ring from him the ring is beyond our reach now forgive me I did not see I have failed you all no more you fought bravely Leave it. It is over. The world of men will fall, and all will come to darkness. 
taking my sister to ruin. I do not know what strength is in my blood, but I swear to you, I will not let the White City fall. Nor our people fail. Our people. Our people. So a really, really moving scene, uh, guaranteed to make me tear up as many, many moments in Lord of the Rings will. <laughs> um, but I think that that moment definitely exhibits Aragorn in the role of priest in the Christ-like role uh, accompanying this man um, at his death. So this is a good opportunity because the next thing I'm going to bring up is Aragorn's own descent into hell, really, uh, is is when he... he, he calls upon the army of the dead or the dead men of Dunharrow, the oath breakers, uh, men of the white mountains who are cursed to remain in Middle Earth by Isildur after they abandoned their oath to aid him in the war of the last alliance. So they're haunting these caverns that can't be released because only the heir of Isildur can release them. Only the rightful king can uh, can release them from this this horrible limbo state that they are in because they they broke their oath. They are um, they are captive by their own guilt, and uh, because uh, Isildur cursed them for the for the way that they for the cowardly way that he, they betrayed him. So uh, this this really taps into many Christ-like qualities of Aragorn. Um, of course, as I brought up in the introduction, the harrowing of hell, the descent into hell. This, of course, mirrors this a lot. I mean, uh, quite literally, he is going into the mountain. He is descending. He is releasing these um, these cursed men, uh, giving them the opportunity for redemption. So, of course, in that way. But this also brings up Aragorn's lineage, um, as as he is the heir of his. Zildor, who is the rightful king of Gondor, uh, just as Christ is heir through Joseph, uh, through the, the line of David. Always very confusing, uh, always very interesting. Um, people are like, why, you know, I mean, how many, um, <laughs> how many, um, genealogies are in there in the Bible that we all skim over. But uh, but you'll see, um, you know, in the line of David, there are a lot of very, very sinful people, right? There is a lot of really messed up people in this line. And it makes you think also of, um, you know, these, this is this is the, the guy that God chose. This was King David, and he really messed up. I mean, Bathsheba, there was, there was a lot going on. This is the line of David. It is a messed up line. And Isildur was a flawed man himself. He came to the power of the ring. He 
he wrecked Middle Earth <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, so both of these noble lines uh, need redemption. They need a savior. And Aragorn, as the as the heir, uh, is going to redeem that just as Christ redeems the line of David through his foster father Joseph. And that's why uh, why the lineage of Joseph is so important. Is that um, is that he he is born into this lineage, if not by blood, certainly by his spirit. And I remember hearing that when a um, when when a Jewish man would name uh, his child, that was it, it was a, it was as if um, he was his 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 father. You know, I, if he named him, he was claiming him as his kin, as his blood, as as everything to him. So whether it was a adoption or anything like that, there was this kinship that was established by the naming of that child. And of course, in a dream, Joseph is told that he will name this child Jesus. So Joseph is the one who names him. So he is named into the line of David. He is claimed into the line of David. So um, both Aragorn and Jesus become these um, outsiders, come to claim their place. They're both from nowhere, right? Um, so, I mean, um, Aragorn, his father was killed by orcs. He was fostered in Rivendell by Elrond, who kept his lineage a secret. So you think about how many times Jesus's true nature was kept a secret um, because uh, Elrond was worried that, uh, that, that Aragorn would be killed if people knew who he was. Uh, and, and that was the fear uh, with Jesus, too. I mean, if people really knew who he was, uh, not just the carpenter's son, but the son of God. And of course, that's that's what happened, right? Um, so, so it was a a, a rightful fear. Um, but both of these men are coming from um, outsiders. They are uh, they they are not uh, known princes. They are not um, recognized easily. Uh, you know, Strider Strider is uh, how we know Aragorn at first. He is a ranger of the north. Um, it is only later that we understand that he is the heir of Isildur, king of Arnor and Gondor. So um, we only learn his identity later. So here he is, the rightful king, the true heir, and he has come to release these poor cursed souls. Uh, so let, let's journey into the mountain. Let's revisit this scene. What say you? Say, uh, you your time, Argon. We have no honor in life. We have none now in death. I am Isildur's heir. Fight for me, and I will hold your oaths fulfilled. What say you? So Aragorn makes this powerful call on them uh, to, to redeem themselves, to redeem their souls, to fight uh, for Gondor once again and be free. So um, again, I did want to just touch on this idea of Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday traditionally has been celebrated. Celebrated is an odd term to use as it's a vigil day. It's a fasting day. Christians used to fast for 40 hours um, until Easter morning, and the first thing they would have would be communion. Um, so this was the day when Christ descended into hell.
out. I am going to put uh, links to a lot of beautiful iconography and paintings that you can see that have come out of um, just meditating on this idea of what that would look like, what that would what that would entail, who he would encounter, Abraham, the the patriarchs, Adam and Eve, just who who uh, Christ would um, would release. And as promised, I did want to read, uh, I won't read the whole thing, I will put a link to it, um, this beautiful homily. It's just known as a, as an ancient homily, don't know the source, an ancient homily for Holy Saturday. Like I said, it's included in the Divine Office, in the Office of the Readings. If you don't know what that is, uh, <laughs> it's really confusing. I have, um, I was gifted a beautiful set, both Chris and I were, beautiful set of all the uh, Liturgy of the Hours. They are very, very confusing to read, but priests and deacons um, pray the, the Liturgy of the Hours throughout the day. Um, and it's a way of, uh, you know, as I said in a couple episodes ago, of marking sacramental time. This is a really, really powerful way of doing that. Um, but lay people can follow uh, follow along too. Um, and this is this is the the second reading for for Holy Saturday is this homily, the Lord's descent into hell. So I will just um, I will I will read a few paragraphs here. Um, and, uh, and and I, I encourage you to go read the whole thing because it's it's really really beautiful. The Lord goes into them holding his victorious weapon, his cross. When Adam, the first created man, sees him, he strikes his breast in terror and calls out to all, "My Lord be with you all." And Christ, in reply, says to Adam, "And with your spirit." And grasping his hand, he raises him up, saying, "Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light." I am your God, who for your sake became your son, who for you and your descendants now speak and command with authority those in prison. Come forth, and those in darkness have light, and those who sleep rise. I command you, awake, sleeper, I have not made you to be held a prisoner in the underworld. Arise from the dead, I am the life of the dead. Arise, O man, work of my hands. Arise, you who were fashioned in my image. Rise, let us go hence, for you in me and I in you. Together we are one undivided person. Wow, I just, I, I get almost goosebumps just reading that. It's just beautiful. So I encourage you to read it. Um, the whole concept of this descent into hell is a complex, a theological one, complex historically um, about how how this idea came about. Traditionally, it sort of has always been included as part of the tradition. Um, you'll, you'll encounter it in... Um, in the Apostles' Creed and in the Athanasian Creed from the 200s and 400s, um, and uh, here's here I'll read you from the from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which states, by the expression "He descended into hell," the Apostles' Creed confesses that Jesus did really die, and through His death for us conquered death and the devil who has power of death. In his human soul, united to his divine person, the dead Christ went down to the realm of the dead. He opened heaven's gates for the just who had gone before him. This is where that idea comes from. And uh, like I said, I'm just sort of scrolling here looking at this art. It's just beautiful. Oh, I mean, it's powerful. It's it's amazing. So really look at the show notes. I think you'll enjoy seeing seeing some of the iconography that has come out of this. And I hope you'll read the homily as well. Uh, this might be a good opportunity I just wanted to introduce for people who weren't familiar um, just to the liturgy that you would encounter if you went to Holy Week services. If you go on Maundy Thursday, uh, the, the big thing is the washing of the feet. Um, I actually 
it was like four years ago or something. I think it was the first year I was Catholic. I was celebrating Easter as, as a Catholic. And, uh, and I was, you know, one of the people whose, whose feet was washed and, um, the bishop actually was doing it. And it's very odd and humbling. And, um, the, the choir is sort of was singing and it was a very powerful moving experience for me. And, uh, so, so there will be people up there having their feet washed. Um, again, the theatricality, the actually acting this out, actually the priest, the bishop becoming, um, putting himself in the role of Christ in the role of the servant and the people feeling what that would feel like to have Christ ministering to them in that way. So that's what you'll encounter on the Monday, Maundy Thursday, Maundy Thursday service. Um, Good Friday, of course, um, beautiful, uh, beautiful services on Good Friday. There is uh, no mass celebrated on Good Friday, uh, and and the communion that's distributed at the celebration of the Lord's Passion is consecrated on Holy Thursday. So the idea is that there, it's the one day uh, when when mass is not celebrated, meant to symbolize uh, Christ's real actual death. Um, so so it's it's a powerful liturgy. Um, and uh, a lot of times there will be adoration and stations of the cross, um, lots of opportunities to just sort of be in that moment. People will, uh, sometimes they will have the, the crucifix out for adoration. Um, people kiss the cross, they kneel before the cross, they sort of um, experience what it would be like maybe to be one of those weeping women who, who stayed at the foot of the cross. Uh, so that, that, that's on Good Friday. Then on Holy Saturday, also called Black Saturday, uh, there is no mass again, uh, on Saturday, the only mass that will happen would be after nightfall. Uh, and that would be the vigil for Easter Sunday. And this is, wow, this is amazing, uh, an amazing service. Um, I won't be able to go this year because the baby goes to bed at like six or six thirty. So <laughs> we will be going to the early morning Easter service. Um, but if you can go, I really do recommend it. Uh, a lot of churches will have a big fire outside. Um, the Paschal candle will be lit. Um, lots of candles. There'll be darkness, and I, I and then the idea is that you know then the dark, that you're waiting in the dark, and then this great light comes, and you'll sort of triumphantly sing Hallelujah. Finally, you'll get to hear Hallelujah again. It's so beautiful, and it's also when new Catholics are received into the church, which is um, really powerful to see. And at least um, I don't know. I think there's some variation about how some people do it, but um, a lot of times the people who have just been baptized and things like that will come out in their white robes and they will be the ones lighting your candles. Um, I was confirmed actually like out of season on, on the feast of Christ, the King, also a very beautiful day, um, means a lot to me, of course, but so I didn't experience that as a convert, but it's beautiful to watch. Um, and so if you can partake in that, it's a long service. It's a beautiful service. I recommend it. So a lot of opportunities, I think, to really live out the tradition, to really meditate on these things and really um, uh, feel a part of a community, to, to, to physically involve your body in the spiritual practices. I think it's really, really powerful. But let's get back to Aragorn. Uh, one more thing, I wanted to just talk about him as a healer. Uh, and again, this is really not emphasized too much in the movies, but it, it is in the book. So um, there's a chapter, The Houses of Healing, and uh, we read that uh, of the tradition that the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. Uh, and so Aragorn goes through this house and, uh, and heals many people. And here's a quote. 
At the doors of the houses, many were already gathered to see Aragorn, and they followed after him. And when at last he supped, men came and prayed that he would heal their kinsmen or their friends whose lives were in peril through hurt or wound, or who lay under the black shadow. And Aragorn arose and went out, and he sent for the sons of Elrond. And together they labored far into the night, and word went through the city, The king is come again indeed. And of course, when Aragorn uh, enters the city again, very, very evocative of um, of Christ's entrance into Jerusalem that we celebrated on Palm Sunday. So we, we really see Aragorn in this role of a physician, priest, and, uh, uh, you know, releasing the dead. In, and of course, in his role as the king, as the rightful king who's going to restore peace, who's fulfilling the line, uh, who is redeeming the line of his ancestors and uh, giving hope for the future of Middle Earth, um, just as Christ gives hope for the future of our Earth. Uh, so I hope that entering into the story of Lord of the Rings, meditating on Aragorn's role as as king, as who's returning uh, triumphantly, helps you enter into the triumph and the beauty of this season, of this Easter season. I'm just, uh, the really the recommendation is watch Return of the King and go to some beautiful Holy Week services. I'm going to end with the coronation scene here, which is so powerful. I'm just going to play like the whole thing because why not? Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, you'll also hear it was such a powerful moment when he says to the hobbits, you know, you bow to no one. And I think even in this moment, he really epitomizes that he's a real king. He's a servant uh, and he understands uh the great sacrifices that others have made and again um you know he he's not god uh even in his role and in, in in his role as king um and in the the lord of the rings universe again there are many christ figures one of whom is frodo uh so so seeing aragorn bow down to him is very powerful and the song that he sings, of course he sings. I mean, just this beautiful voice just like comes out of nowhere. Um, <laughs> he's singing um, uh, like a hymn, you know. He sings, um, Out of the great sea to middle earth I come, in this place will I abide, and my heirs unto the ending of the world. And that is what Elendel, the first high king of Gondor, and ultimately the grandfather of Aragorn, said when he first arrived in Middle Earth from Numenor. So here he is. He's fulfilling he his his promise. He is restoring the the line of his grandfather, and uh, and uh, here he is unto the ending of the world. So happy Easter, happy spring. Uh, I, I wish you a really, really wonderful Holy Week and a beautiful Easter Sunday, and I will be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Katie Marquette, and this is Born of Wonder. does not belong to one man, but to all. Let us together rebuild this world, that we may share in the days of peace.
پناه میره And here there is something more than just a transient experience. It's about uh, being. It's about the things that matter to me. It's about the white spaces between the paragraphs. Then God said, let there be light. It's a mistake you always made, Doc, trying to love a wild thing. 